Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're sitting down with Nicola Vaughn, who, among a long list of achievements, was both the youngest person and first African-American woman to hold the office of United States Ambassador to the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. We're talking about The Black Godfather, the documentary which Avant produced about her father, the legendary music industry executive and dealmaker extraordinaire Clarence Avant. He's the most famous person you haven't heard of and the wizard behind the curtain for icons including Bill Withers, Hank Aaron, and Diddy. The list goes on and on. And as the New York Times aptly says, the anecdotes are gold. Nicole talks about what it was like to grow up in a world where guests at her family home included U.S. presidents and the likes of Muhammad Ali and Quincy Jones. It's all here. Her father's words to live by, the importance of paying it forward, and how her friend Pharrell stepped up to write an original song for the documentary. Hi, Nicole. (laughs) It's great to see you. It's great to be here. Thank you uh, for coming on to talk to me about your life, your father's life, and this documentary you did called Black Godfather. Now, I've been in L.A. about 20 years, and I have to tell you this. So, uh, and... I worked at Vanity Fair, and so I was in a lot of special rooms that I really had no right to be in, but I was there because I worked at Vanity Fair. And I would see your father around, and I always wondered, like, who is this guy that seems to be everywhere? And people would whisper, oh, that's Clarence Vaughn. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. Clarence Vaughn. But I could never figure out well, what's a Clarence Vaughn, and why is he here? (laughs) And then very early on in this documentary, your brother says, I think it's your brother, says, Oh, Dad, he's a celebrity celebrity. Yes. And that is the best expression. Like, it was the most bold-faced names cross the room to talk to him. Yeah. So my first question for you is, why now? Your dad's in his late 80s. Why now did you decide to make a documentary? And why did you think the documentary was the right format as opposed to a biography or even a coffee table book? Right. Which I did have those ideas. I I thought, you know, I started this in my head when I was very young. I thought it'd be a great movie. And then by the time I was in my 20s and 30s, I thought, well, maybe it should be a book. And then life happens. And then I did hire a biographer. And as we're trying to tell these stories, or as we were telling these stories, and I was trying to get the interviews, I'm thinking, no one's going to believe me. No one's going to believe any of these stories. And then I believe, I'm a big believer in the power of image and and what it does in storytelling in, in, the, in the format of film and television. And it made a big impact on my life. And I thought, you know what? Most of the people that I want to interview for this book are alive And they have beautiful voices and they've accomplished so many things. And 
They also happen to be African-American, and their stories have not been told. And I thought, you know what, this is... This is this is the reason it should be in a film format so that they can tell their own story in their own way with their personality attached to it. You know, none of them are really boring. <laughs> and um, and I, I wanted to honor them in that way and say, you know, I, I want to put you on film. I want you to tell your story and your experience that you had um, crossing paths with my father and I that so that's the reason why I decided to do the documentary. And then the timing, it really just I thought it was going to be ten years ago. I thought it was going to be five years ago. And then I saw I watched the um, the documentary on David Geffen, and I went to the premiere. And I remember looking at him and saying, "It's time for me to do this." It's because I I really I understood all the stories being on film and the importance of it. And then that's when I said, okay, I need to start laying down the groundwork. Well, it is amazing. You say the voices within the first opening credits. It's yeah. it's yeah. Snoop Dogg, Quincy, uh, Obama, Cicely Tyson, Barry Gordy, like yeah. Ludacris, Babyface. Yeah. It's all just you realize the volume and the yes. velocity at which you're father has lived his life yes. it's incredible and also the influences um and i'm just like an average white girl from the midwest right. and i noticed all these i'm like well i know that i thought i was part of that and he did that yeah lean on me yeah. you know soul train all yes. these things that were yes. really a part of yes. you know i used to watch that show mm-hmm. all the time so mm-hmm. in this process i can't imagine what it was like growing up in that house in Beverly Hills yeah. where he, he talks about being the only African-American in that neighborhood and that while, kind of yeah. funny story about, yeah. you know, moving to Beverly Hills and, and, and getting the money and, and, and living there. But what was that like to grow up in L.A. at that time and with your dad? Did you I guess the second part of that was did you recognize kind of how important your dad was? I remember watching him on Soul Train. It's actually the, the footage that we have in the film. I remember seeing that footage when he was talking about doing the documentary on Save the Children. It was in that moment, because he was on television, that I remember every bone in my body, like everything just kind of froze and shook. And I thought, wait, he's somebody important because he's on television. (laughs) And then there were like little moments where, you know, I'd always say, you know, it's show and tell or something in school. Like, you know, my dad's in the record business, but... Then all these other different people, as you mentioned, alluded to, would come to the house, whether it be Hank Aaron or Andrew Young or somebody not in the record business, but they were, or Muhammad Ali was at the house a lot. So I knew he wasn't in the record business. And then I started wondering, but wait, why are all these people here? And then a lot, sometimes it just happens in life in any arena. A lot of people who are successful in general always want to meet other successful people. So there was that part but then I started to realize at a very young age that he was doing more than just becoming friends with these people. He was actually trying to help them fulfill their dreams. I knew probably by the time he was 10, by the time I was 10 rather, that I that there was something different because I couldn't always explain it. And my friends would always come over and say, why is so-and-so here? Why is, you know, why? There was this one story, it didn't make the film, but I... um. I had a my best friend, Andrea, at the time. We were in fourth grade, and she was supposed to sleep at my house one weekend. 
And we did something, got into trouble, and her mom said, that's it, you're punished, you're not going to sleep at Nicole's. So they drove me home, and Andrew's crying the whole time, I really want to stay at Nicole's house. And Harry Belafonte just happened to be at the house that day. I didn't know him as anything but Harry. I didn't, I knew he was in movies and sang and civil rights. I just didn't, you know, I was in fourth grade. But when her mom saw him in the driveway, I remember her whipping around the car saying, what is Harry Belafonte doing here? And I said, do you know Harry Belafonte? How do you know Harry Belafonte? Like, I didn't even connect that he was some big thing. And then, of course, needless to say, Andrea was able to sleep at the house that weekend as planned because her mom was very happy. Um, and I think it was little things like that that um, that I realized there's something bigger here. But my parents never used it as any—they didn't use it as anything. It was always just a matter of fact. These are our friends. And most of the time, it was talking about civil rights, especially with Harry Belafonte. It was talking about civil rights. It was talking about Black entrepreneurship. It was talking about Black people moving forward in different businesses, where they're having trouble moving forward, what unions have been great, what unions have not been great, what what do we still need to work on, who do we still have to organize and pull together. So there was always a very deep reason as opposed to just, you know, just Sometimes it was just coming over and hanging out, but a lot of the times it was always with a p- purpose and uh, a purpose to make sure that something significant and positive and important was done. What I loved about watching this doc, and it's so watchable, I mean, you just want to watch it again and again, so you just didn't miss anything. And I did w- watch it twice. The stuff that surprised me. And I was thinking as I was watching, would your dad have been as successful mm-hmm. had he put himself in the spotlight? Because he feels like he purposefully yes. kept himself in the background, yes. even though he was doing huge things yes. for black icons and mm-hmm. changing lives. And mm-hmm. and it, I think Bill Withers, who kind of said it best, he's like, he changed the course of my life because he he allowed me to transform. He was a, he took yes. an airplane mechanic yes. and turned him into, I mean, yes. you can't, there's not anybody on that's breathing on earth that hasn't heard Lean On right. Me. And it's, right. it's, it's a song that transcends. Mm-hmm. And to think that your dad was was about that, made that happen. Yes. I wonder, do you, do you have thoughts on that? I think he must have subconsciously known that it was better for his personality, better for him in general, just to stay behind the scenes. I I did hear a story that I think Lou Wasserman actually had a lot to do with that. I think Lou Wasserman would tell him just to just, you don't want to give up so much where you can't go to the market. You don't want to give up so much where you can't live life and be at your children's soccer games and or be just at the airport and just live. And I do remember my father telling me a story that Lou Wasserman had said that, and I think it really stuck with him. And and I'm happy it did, and I think it was better for his personality. And I think my dad knows himself well enough to know, like, if this gets too big and it becomes all about me, this will be a train wreck. <laughs> and And I've taken that kind of from him. I'm always trying to, you know, I'll do what I can and be out there as much as I need to, but it always has to be for a reason, not just to... He never cared about fame ever, uh, ever. He didn't. He didn't read about uh, famous people. He he loved biographies. He likes reading about scientists and, and inventors and things like that. He 
you know, he loves houses. You know, we used to go house hunting all the time mm-hmm. and just study architecture. But he never talked about, he never even talks about famous people, to be quite honest. He mm-hmm. never, he doesn't look up to them like they are, like some type of God. He doesn't idolize that. So I think that helped him. I think he knew, let me just stay the course here. And I think he felt very powerful being like the wizard behind mm-hmm. the curtain. And I think that was enough for him. It's not just music. It's not just actors. It's not just sports. It's politics. I mean, yeah. you have two former presidents talking about yeah. him and one that's running for president currently yeah. talking uh, about him and what he meant. I mean, he really was, I don't want to say star maker, but he had like a sixth sense about what people needed that they didn't even know they yes. needed yes. and who who had the goods to make that happen. Yeah, he's kind of like a dream weaver. Yeah. You know, yeah. he kind of, he loves that. Like it's, it's, I say in the film, if it all goes away tomorrow, if he leaves this planet tomorrow, and I meant it when I said it, I, I said it to him a while ago. I said, you really have lived your purpose. You really have come here and done and finished what you came here to do. Mm-hmm. And I believe in that. So, you know, he's always laughing at me like, oh, what are you talking about? And I said, Dad, I really believe that this was your destiny and a and you fulfilled your destiny. And many people, I think, chase situations and chase ideas that really aren't meant for them, which creates so much struggle. And he was lucky and fortunate enough to understand what his role was in this lifetime. And then I think he stepped into it. And I think he did really well because, like I said, lots of people had their dreams fulfilled because there was somebody. It's not like he did it. I'm not saying he's God or somebody, but he he showed up and was that entree. He was the one that opened the door. He was, you know, he was given a lot of power at a very, very young age from one man, you know, and Joe Glazier. I mean, if my father hadn't met him, I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you today. Right, because he came from nothing. I mean, came from absolutely nothing. Yes. No connections. Nothing. Eighth grade education. Yeah, ninth grade education. and, 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 you know, there was a black elite. You know, there always has been, and he was not a part of that. So he was not educated properly and um but he he's a mover and a shaker for sure and he's been everything he's been a janitor he's been you know a doorman he's been cleaning toilets he's done everything any type of job he didn't care what it was he just wanted to survive and he was at the right place at the right time at at Teddy Powell's lounge and met Joe Glazier and Joe saw what we're talking about. He and Joe was saw a that. famous yes. uh, music uh, manager, manager, right? Mm-hmm. Who had all the he had a lot Sarah of big Vaughan acts. and and Louis Armstrong and and he owned ABC Booking. I mean, the, he he had most of the black acts, especially in jazz, and he was really like a father to my father. And you know, in my head, you know, I didn't know him. He died when I was very young, but he's always been Grandpa Joe in my head because. He really taught my father everything that he knows and gave him a shot. I mean, said, here's this African-American man and doesn't have an education, and I know nothing about his life, and I know nothing about his people, but I like him, and I'm going to teach him. And if he listens, and then opened up all the doors for my father. Mm -hmm. And I love—that's what I love about my father the most is that he took his blessing— and then shared his blessing uh, with so many other people. I don't even think he was consciously aware of that's what he was doing. But that's the way I always look at him. Like, wow, you really, you were very blessed. 
And then you took that and you blessed other people. Well, let's talk about some uh, Clarence Yvonne isms. Okay? Yes. Okay. <laughs> A couple of my favorite. I don't have problems. I have friends. <laughs> yes. You don't ask, you don't get. Yes. That, oh, that's been drilled into me. And then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So just talk about those a little bit. So I'll start with it is what it is, which is my favorite because I never, he used to say that to me all the time. I mean, if I lost a game, if I lost a swim meet, if I, you know, had to argue with my friend or something good, it, was, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'm like, you know, can you just have a little sympathy here? I'm just asking, like, I understand it is what it is. But then as I got older, and I remember specifically, um, I was in, I called him from Nassau when I was serving and I was having an issue with something. And he said, it is what it is. And I started crying and I said, you know, dad, I just need you to understand where I am and just hear me out. And he said, Nicole, it is what it is. And I said, dad, if, I'm hanging up now because you're just, you're not giving me what I need. And he said, Nicole, if you would start where it is and just own where you are first and accept that it is what it is first. Then you can make a decision on where to go next and what to change. But if you don't accept what it is what it is, you're not going to go anywhere except a circle and I'm done. And then he hung up on me. <laughs> I don't, I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah, that. And yeah. I thought, well, that was actually, that was great. Okay. And he was right. He was, and I, from that moment, I said, okay, it is what it is. I don't like this. I like this. I don't like this. I like this. And then I was able to look at what needs to change and what steps do I need to make. Uh, when it comes to uh, you don't ask, you don't get, I just had that experience this morning and I recalibrated something because I thought, you know what? Wait a minute. No, I didn't ask specifically for what I wanted because his whole thing is you may not get it. You really may not get it. But why not ask? Because the worst answer, the only thing you're going to hear is no. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and everyone suffers from no. He goes, why? They just said no. And maybe no is the blessing. Maybe you want, you don't know what's going to happen five years later. But he always taught me you will regret not asking. Instead of just, you know, just just ask and then you know and you have peace about it. And... What was the last one? The what was the other one you asked me? The I, don't prob- oh, I don't have problems. I have, I have friends. friends. You know, it's interesting because what he really—it's his way of saying. I reached out to my friends when I had a problem, and I, because he's had many problems and he's had many challenges, and I think, as you know, it's shown in the film, a lot of his friends showed up for him when he was really going belly up. And we were going to lose everything. And he was losing everything. And it was hard for him. I know it was hard for his ego, but I'm very grateful that he, at the last minute, decided to be honest with his friends and to tell them where he was and how nervous he was and how sad he was and how disappointed he was. And people like Jerry Moss, God bless him, and Joe Smith and and, you know, and Herb Albert, all of them and uh, everybody, uh, but those in particular said, we don't want to see this happen to you. We don't want to see you lose your home. We don't, we want you to be able to start over. And because of really good friends who loved him 
and believed in him, he was able to pick himself up. And he's never forgotten that. And so when he says it, you know, he it sounds, you know, I, I don't know how it lands to a lot of people, but he means it in that way of your friends can really do a lot for you emotionally, you know, financially, spiritually, but that's what they're there for. And sometimes you just got to be honest and suck it up and say these things are happening or I'm confused about this or I'm going under. And I don't think if he had said that, I, he, we, we would definitely would have gone under. I think if he didn't tell Joe Smith or Jerry Moss or anybody else who helped him, then we definitely, no question, would have gone under. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. It's very true. Yeah. You have to, it's all, they all tie together, they all, all those three things. Yeah, definitely. They, they tie together. And it's, um, and, and, you know, do, in the process of this film, it, it helped remind me of those things that I do live by and never realize where I, everyone's like, how do you know these things? How do you, how do you always give the best advice? How do you do this? And I'm thinking, oh, this has been passed down for, because my grandmother was even more, I mean, she was the wisest one, my father's mom. Mm-hmm. And I was very close to her. And she was a woman of faith. And she always believed in the best in people and of situations. And she'd always pray first and then waited to see what would show up. And she'd always say, you don't know how your prayers are going to be answered. And then she was the one who'd say, and sometimes the answer will be no. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. still an answer. How hard... Was it to get your dad to agree to do oh, the documentary? Oh, every day. Who's paying me? No one's asked me. No one asked me if I could do this. I go, well, that's the beauty of doing a documentary <laughs> is that you don't get to control this one. The one thing that you do not get to control in your life is I think I have I know, Dad, I have enough stories to put something together. And you're just going to have to trust me. You know, I must have been his age. I think the timing helped where he was, he didn't want to fight me on it. You know, I think if it was 20 years ago, it would have been a different story. But I think it was the perfect timing where he's been retired and more relaxed. And I told him, I said, it's time for you to receive, actually. It would be really nice if you could just receive and let me and whomever, whatever team I pull together, let us try. We're going to do our best. I don't know what's going to happen. But I I would like to honor you. I would like to honor your life and your friends and their stories. And he said, okay. And you got uh, Reginald Hudlin, Reggie Hudlin to do it, right? Which is, he's the director on the film, which is amazing. I can imagine that was not an easy task to find the right person. No. And and the reason it was... You know, great for Reggie being available. And that was another thing, waiting for Reggie's availability. But Reggie met my father many, many years ago when he came to Los Angeles. And my father, you know, made sure to open some doors for Reggie and made sure he met different people. And Reggie had heard all the the stories, you know, coming up. But Reggie knows my father. And he spent a lot of time with my father. And also what I love about Reggie is that he knows black history. He knows culture, all culture, I should say, and all everything in the arts. He loves the arts. He loves history, everyone's history. But he really does understand our own history, and he knows it well. And he also understands entertainment, and he also understands my father. And my father, God bless him with all his good qualities, he's not easy. <laughs> That's not an adjective that you use with him. So I thought, well, 
to get this train going, bringing on somebody that my father knows and respects and values and has also watched Reggie. He's watched him become very successful and he's seen a lot of his films. So I just figured, you know what? This makes sense. And and Reggie wanted to do it. And we have the same amount of passion and the type of stories that we want to see, whether we've seen them or not. We have the same amount of passion and, and ideas about things. And I thought, I think this is the right fit. And it turned out to be correct. I mean, my father felt very comfortable in the interviews. I think that's why you got a lot out of my father that I don't think someone who he didn't know, I don't know if my dad would have been so vulnerable and so open. So that that's why it was important for me to have someone like Reggie do the film. Yeah, he did a great job. He did a and great you could job. Tell, you could tell there was a, it was playful. And, yes. And just even though the stuff that he set up between Quincy Jones and your dad, yeah. I could watch that. I mean, that's a movie in and of itself. I mean, that they are... When we were growing up, all of us, Quincy's kids and, and my brother and I, we would just sit there and look and say, no one would believe, what, who are these people? These these people are raising us. These people <laughs> are raising us. They're, they they just, they finish each other's sentences. They whisper to each mm-hmm. other and you wonder like, what is going on? But it's a beautiful friendship. And and they have both shown up for each other. And, you know, and Quincy is, is my godfather and he's been a, wonderful godfather. I mean, he really showed up as a, not just entitled godfather, but really fathering me on many, many occasions when I was doing great and when I wasn't doing so great and stepped in to always make sure I was on the right course and also stepped in and gave me a love for my own history and and reminding us of what it was like on the road and not being able to go into hotels and because of the color of their skin and remembering when a, when a pool was drained because, you know, Dorothy Dandridge, you know, stuck her toe in it or what have you. I mean, they were there. Quincy's seen it all. And Quincy's so worldly, as everyone knows, which was a huge influence for me because both he and my father always had me traveling. I mean, I was in Russia in senior year. It was, I'm not going skiing. I'm going to Russia with my Russian studies class. And it was still the Soviet Union, and it was great. But I remember writing both of them, sending postcards, and saying, I don't know if you're ever going to get these. I don't know if they're leaving here. (laughs) But I remember calling my father, and just his sheer joy of knowing that his daughter was calling from Russia, you know, from St. Petersburg. He's like, this is... You know, for him in his mind, he was like, I was able to send you here. And both he and Quincy instilled in me, you must go and learn about other cultures. You will never understand people by just reading about them. You'll never understand. You can only get so much from television, but you should try and go and travel as much as you can because it'll open your eyes. It'll open your heart. There's, and Quincy would always say to me, there's nothing like having friends who live in different countries. There's nothing like it. And he's right. The documentary is pretty comprehensive, but I imagine that there are some figures that were no longer alive. Is there yes. someone that comes to mind that you really wish you could have gotten their voice in this? Oh, yeah. Don Cornelius, for sure. And I'm happy we got some found so much footage and was able to mm-hmm. use it. But Don... Um, was a really he was at the house all the time and 
I connected with him a lot. And he wasn't a man of lots of words, you know, he was so smart. And, you know, he used to be a journalist, and he used to cover the civil rights movement. People don't know. I mean, he was on the front lines, and he was so smart and worldly, but he was kind, um, but always supported me. And the last time I had spoken to him was the night before uh, the night before he passed, the night before he took his life. And it was he was actually supporting me on something for the Obamas. And I was having an event at our house for First Lady Obama, and he was saying, "I'm not going to be able to be there, but I'll give you I'll, I'll support it." I said, "No, no, 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 no." I'm having something for the president in a month, so just wait one month. Just wait one month, and then we'll do this. And then the next day I woke up to the news, and I, when I tell you I was devastated, I mean, I couldn't function for probably like a week. I, I just was, because I'm going through my head, what were my last words to him? And, oh, my God, I was talking about mm. money, and I was, you know, but but it was bigger than that. The beauty, now I look at it, you know, with a sound mind, and my last conversation with him was a conversation where he was so proud of me and he was supporting me. And he was saying to me, I want to support you and I want to support your endeavors. And he always did. And um, I really wish that he was here to tell his own story about my dad because I knew how much he really loved my dad and really how grateful he was to my father. Mm -hmm. So he was one for sure. And um, yeah, he would be the main one. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I got most of the people that I wanted. Well, you have some special guest stars in uh, (laughs) this doc, to say the least. Can you tell me a little bit about how you made that happen? Uh, Thank God I was, I've been in touch with most of the people that are in the film and I've stayed in touch with them and, and I, you know, I was, they all knew what I wanted to do for a very long time. And then at the end, when I watched the film and we were putting the music to the film, I knew there was something missing. There was something a little more. And I kept thinking, did I miss an interview or what is it? And then every time we played the music, which was great, I didn't change it. I was like, there's still something missing. And then, you know, Pharrell Williams happens to be a really good friend of mine. I mean, he's, you know, I call him my soul brother because that's what I feel. And he gets my energy. We have the same amount of passion, and we we understand the vibration of music. And I, I just knew. I said, you know, I want him to watch this film, and maybe just maybe he'll. I wanted him to guide me. That the truth of it is, I wanted him to guide me on the music and say, I think you know, hey sis, you need to up it here. Maybe you need to change it here. And then what I got in return was, wow. And I knew, base, you know, this is fantastic, and this is more than a documentary, and I learned so much. And then I just jumped in and I said, "Well, um, you know, if you have time, I, I, you know, I love all the songs that you write. If you would have time, and I'm telling you, in 24 hours, there was a song that he sent, and the first five seconds, I started crying, and he nailed it. He nailed, he nailed my father." He nailed the energy of my father. He nailed the energy of the movie. The lyrics are beautiful. And it was it was the icing on the cake for me with this film. I was already happy, but this this happiness, this joy, this song took my level of gratitude and joy to a completely different level that I didn't expect. And I um 
Wow, see, I'm already tearing up. Like, I get very emotional about it because because I love him so much as a friend and because I trust him. And then the fact that he took time to come up with this song in honor of my father, and I don't think there was a better way to honor my father. Yeah, in in the doc, one of the things I thought was interesting, too, so much in, in there, but about how Soul Train really showed black culture in a happy, friendly yes, way yes. at a time when there's so much discourse going yes. on in the world. Yes. And it brought this world into people's homes and yes. their televisions. Mm-hmm. And obviously it was so popular. I remember at the Soul Train dance, people do yes. it everywhere. We still yes. enjoy it. My kids do yeah. it. You know, it's now part of just, you yeah. know, what people do. But you you know, you forget at that time, no one had, you know, no one had purview into that cult, into a culture or different, Absolutely. different people doing different things. And there's so much joy in it. Yes. And all the music, people got to hear all, all this the music, music they wouldn't have. And I think it, you know, that's one of my favorite lines that I think is Nelson George, who says it in the movie that it's Soul Train was, what is it? The civil rights weapon, the civil rights, Secret it was the weapon. weapon that the civil rights movement didn't know it had, yeah. which is joy. And I never thought about that. I mean, that jumped out at me, and I thought, that is so true. And, again, the power of image of it's not always people who are down and out and fighting for civil rights and wanting this and wanting that, regardless of how important it is. It was also, it with all that going on, there was still joy. And also with Soul Train, what I love that, we, that Reggie was able to capture in the film was showing that there were black advertisers, you know, so then, you know, you're you, even if it's not for a very long time in the film, it's there are black products that are being made for black people. There are black advertising companies, black owned advertising companies. So you had black entrepreneurship, both on the product side and then the advertising agency side. And then you have a black man who has a show that can benefit everybody. And so... That was, you know, the, that I learned a lot. I, I I, mean, I knew it all, but I didn't put it all together. Like, oh, wait a minute. Of course. Of course, that's why my father fought for Soul Train. It wasn't just for Soul Train. It was because if there was no Soul Train, then the people who were selling products wouldn't have the advertisers to then sell on a TV show. So that so many people would lose. And I, I, um, I loved... Soul Train, and I still watch. And I, you know, any reruns that come on, or anytime I can get anything, or I read YouTube something. And I think it was a really great medicine to so many people people who were on the show, like you said, people who watched the show, seeing people dance in joy and in harmony, and then also learning about all these other artists, you know, and James Brown and the Commodores and everybody. I mean, Soul Train really was a great platform. And to be owned and developed by a black person um, gave it a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Fashion trends. I mean, yes. I remember always Yeah, all the fashion <laughs> trends. That. And yeah. So, so the beauty of Netflix and having th- this movie on, and doing it with Netflix is that so many people will see it. There's such a mm-hmm. sense of discovery. Mm-hmm. What do you hope the younger generation, as we know, some of them won't even know. Yeah. <laughs> you know they, they might know the song Lean on Me, but they're not going to know uh, Bill Withers. They probably won't even know Hank Aaron. No. They won't know that he was, no. you know, that he didn't have a, a, a lineup of endorsements. Right. They're not going to know that. Correct. Um, so what do you hope they take away from it? You know, I hope that this film 
inspires people to to believe in themselves. I hope that this film empowers people, um, inspires people, motivates people to not just pay it forward, but to stay in the arena of life, you know, to dance with life. Like, life is not easy for anybody. Everybody has different challenges. Everybody's got something. And I hope that this film, you know, it's, it's it was a labor of love, not just for my father, but for all these people who, in spite of any dark circumstance, in spite of all the opposition coming against them, they still showed up and they didn't quit. And the beauty about these people in this film is that every single person stayed in the arena. And it is about paying it forward. Everybody wants to be a general. Well, some people are really great lieutenants. And, you know, people generals need lieutenants. You know, lieutenants need soldiers. Like, it's not everybody can be CEO because you can't, CEO can't do anything without anybody underneath her. So I hope that this younger generation picks up on the strengths of this past generation of, yeah, Bill Withers had a passion for music and wrote all these beautiful songs and showed up with an entire album, but everyone had said no, but he didn't quit on life. He then was like, okay, I can be a mechanic. It's try, try, try again. And um, so I hope people will take away, you know, the be given a strength of staying in the arena and also the beauty of friendship and the power of friendship because this film really is about friendship too. Male-dominated friendships and males talking about really being vulnerable and showing up for each other and helping each other. And it's important to see that. So I hope people will learn history and I hope they'll you know, like I said, be inspired. And there's something about an entrepreneurial spirit that is so powerful. And I hope that many people who want to be entrepreneurs or are not entrepreneurs and in a bad space, I hope they watch this film and get up again. Mm-hmm. Well, you see your dad do it even even when he's being interviewed. At the yeah. Now, he's still learning. Yes. Like, he just kept learning and he would change his point of view or he, he accepted this and figured out how to way to process that mm-hmm. and turn it into a win yes. by moving forward with yes. it, not just staying in a lane of, oh, this is going to work. I don't know what to right. do. And that idea of, oh, we've hit a glass ceiling or, oh, they don't want us at this table. He went right to the top of the table. Yeah. I mean, what a great, yeah. I'm yeah. so happy that you made this movie. I'm Thank so happy you. that you talked him into it. Thank you. It is a real, um, just a joy to watch and, so I congratulate you on oh, that. I appreciate and that. You guys are a lot alike, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, I am definitely his. Child. You, <laughs> I am definitely. You his. Have we that challenge energy. each other. Yeah, we challenge each other all the time. But um, I, I do have his energy, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I really am because I don't. You know, everyone looks at me like, "Why you say yes to?" Every-? I, I, I don't say yes to everything, and there have been a lot of no's in my life for sure, and a lot of disappointments. But I'm grateful that I took his spirit of, you know, why not? You know, go out and try it. Nothing's permanent. You know, you you could do You'd always teach me. You can always leave and step away. There's a difference between that and quitting. You don't quit. You have to figure, and you have to find the balance. And it's hard to find the balance of quitting. You know, when do I walk away and am I quitting? And um, so... 
I'm grateful for that. Hmm. Well, thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. Black Godfather is now streaming on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Present Company is produced by Netflix and Gimlet Creative. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.